people oh my god it is friday my guest today on love babs love talk is gonna be talking all day today so i'm not gonna be playing any music i'm not gonna be spending any music today i'm gonna just be about straight talking so my first guest this morning is uh carl franz williams who owns anchor spa so he's gonna come on i mean he owns a bunch of places in new york harlem blah 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 but i want to talk about the iconic anchor spa and uh and his relationship to it and his relationship to the city. So he'll be on in a minute. Uh, he is in the building. <laughs> so he's going to come in. Yes, Harry is here. He's just, Harry is doing what Harry does, tricking out the studio and making sure I look right. <laughs> so, so uh, let me tell you where I was last night. So Bragamos, 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 they had a little shindig. They're going to do these monthly things called the Commons, hosted by uh, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner. Um, at Brigamos over there in Fairhaven. And it's like, it's an eclectic art soiree. So I was there last night, chilling, um, drinking wine. Uh, Dulio was on the ones and twos. And they had a brother there um, doing um, live art, like portrait stuff, like painting. I mean, this was like, this was so cool. I almost felt like I shouldn't have been there. But I was there, me and my squad, or part of our squad, so, so we went there, we hung out, um, stayed till about nine. Then we rolled out with Benita Applebaum to one of her friends' house downtown New Haven, one of the swankiest pads I've ever been to in a long, long time. So I was over there drinking sake, <sighs> scotch, some good red wine, and smoking a cigar. I was in my glory. Like, it was way too much fun last night. I cannot tolerate this much fun on a Thursday. I just can't. I can't do it. So I got I to scale back my Thursdays because <laughs> it was just way too much good time. And then I had to get up this morning and uh, uh, get Margo to school because she spent the night. So I had to get her to school. Then I had an appointment at 740. Then I came and got. I had time to get some breakfast and some coffee. And uh, I'm about to have a good conversation with uh, Carl. Franz Williams, and uh, and talk about his life and his connection to uh, New Haven. I believe he's an alpha too. I, I want to say he is an alpha. Um, so and uh, as he said to me, I was like, "Ooh, is this early for you?" He's like, "No." He's like, "No, Babs, I own a bar. <laughs> it's not early." <laughs> I was like, "Man, I don't know. I always wanted to own a bar." but not really own a bar, you know? So I so I, I do my part in hanging out in bars. So I feel like I own bars because I hang out in bars, which is my favorite thing to do. And if you could if you could make a good cocktail, which I'm not a cocktail girl, but if you can make a good cocktail, you might win me. If you could pour a good scotch, you've won me. So anyway, that's where we are. So happy Friday. So tonight, I think the squad, we're going to roll over to Saybrook because they got jazz over in the Undercroft at Saybrook, 
You know, Saybrook is like Hogwarts. You go like all down these stairs, winding staircases, and then you fall into, you know, a performance space, like a tricked out studio performance space. It's the craziest thing. Underground. Underground at Saybrook. So I'm going to be there. I think I'm going to be there tonight. And then, of course, sorority meeting Saturday morning, which I don't know, because Margot has her um, audition for ECA tomorrow morning at 11. So I may I may um, slide over there and check that out. So anyway, <sighs> welcome to 103.5 FM WNHH. We're live streaming on the New Haven Independent dot org. I'm Babs Rawls Ivy and welcome to Love Babs Love Talk. Yes, this is the talking show today. Oh, and Melissa Barton is coming on at 10 o'clock to talk about uh the collaborations exhibit at the Beinecke. You know, the Beinecke is one of my favorite places. So she's coming on. And this is a great way to round out Black History Month for me. Like having Melissa here talking about uh, Richard Wright's, um, to her piece, her curation of the exhibit is Richard Wright and, and Native Son. And y'all know how I feel about Native Son. I can't see. Maybe this is, maybe this last installment of Native Son in my life will be just a thing to like get rid of it all. So we'll see. We'll see. So that's the thing. So that's the day today. I'm looking forward to all these great conversations. And uh, I don't know, Harry, should we put some music on for a minute or what should we do? Put some music on and then I'll be back on the other side. All night, Monday morning, I'm sick of this job already.
Good morning, Carl. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? You good? I'm good. You know, I've been chasing you for what, two years? <laughs> well, not not quite that long. All right, long enough. I've been chasing you. Yeah. And I've been chasing you because my friend and bar husband, Tim Cabral, is like, you have to go talk to Carl. Tim's a great dude, man. So he gave me your number. So you better tell him, don't be giving women your number. <laughs> uh, actually, as long as my girl, as long as she's cool, then we're good. As long as your girl is cool, like, all right, all right, all right. So listen, I know you, you're you're famous restaurateur uh, famous okay yeah, popular <laughs> popular I'll you've take got that some really cool spots go. in new york yes i do really yeah. cool spots yep and then you're in new haven yep mm -hmm. and you take over the iconic anchor spot well iconic to us in new haven oh it's definitely iconic i mean it's been here since 1939 so yes. it's got a really great history and legacy and you know that was one of the things i got excited about when i when i heard about the space now how did oh. you know about anchor spa T tell us well, why you know about Anchor Spa. I mean, it go so I I I went to Yale undergrad, so I, yes. I knew about it, <laughs> you know, because I was here. Um, but the funny thing is, I, I didn't really drink. No, I, not a lot when I was in college. I mean, I could probably count the t number of times I was drunk on one hand in college. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so I've only I only went in the Anchor once in the four years I was here. Here. <laughs> true story oh my lord yeah that is so funny true story i mean it was a dive but it was a good dive it was and and you know it was like one of those places that it, it kind of had this like you know um like buzz like cd kind of buzz yeah. to it, you know so it was it was it was cool to go there like, it, if you yeah. went you were yeah. like right, i just did something like <laughs> like you know kind of cool so um but I, I only went once in college my gosh yeah so how did you? I used to live at the Taft back in the day, so I used to go across the street to Anchor Bar, mm -hmm, and hang mm -hmm. out, have drinks, CD dive, undercurrent kind of thing. Right. right. Uh, how did you wind back up in New Haven? Like, how did you? Because you you're not from here. No. You went no, to undergrad actually, and then you bounced. I'm, out, <laughs> I'm going back. To I New mean, York. I'm from New York. Like, I grew up in my family's from the Caribbean, but I grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know. New Haven, obviously going to school here, like New Haven, like I was one of those, I guess I don't say unique, maybe unique for at that time, but I, I, you know, growing up in New York, I felt very connected, growing up in Brooklyn, I felt very connected to New Haven and to what um, the culture around the college was, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Oh, so you went off campus. <laughs> I went off campus. <laughs> I got off campus for sure. So it was like, I, you know, so I had an affinity for New Haven because it helped make my experience at Yale um, feel more at home like that was a big change for me going from uh from you know the high school in in the city mm -hmm. to going to Yale like that was a big change for me so going out in New Haven kind of made me feel a little bit more connected mm -hmm. so New Haven has had a special like place in my heart for a while even though college was <laughs> way too long ago <laughs> I just I just I, I just have my 20th anniversary I'm like how, how what how does that happen how old are you <laughs> I, I'm 42 you look like you just graduated well, thank you oh thank my you. lord flattery will get you everywhere <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what did you study at yale uh electrical engineering okay so electrical engineering mm -hmm. bars restaurateur <laughs> totally yeah how did that happen this kind of i you know i don't think you ever know especially when you're 18 19 20 and some people do i don't say you never know some people like they know what they're going to be from jump and they 
are on this path and they make it happen. But a lot of us figure it out along the way, and that's kind of what happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, uh, you know, I started, uh, so I started my career in manufacturing. So basically, using my degree as electric as an engineer, working for Procter and Gamble in one of their manufacturing plants. And uh, Procter and Gamble is this is an amazing company that um, has built this reputation on its marketing and brand ma- brand management aspect of the business. So, you know, the brand managers at Proctor were like, you know, deities almost, you know? And so I was like, they would come and visit the plant where I was working. I was like, who are these guys? Like they, like they just had this like air to them and this, you know, and people got so excited when they were around or whatever. I was like, I want to be them. Um, and so, you know, I was able to transition in the company um, from engineering and manufacturing over to, over to, to brand marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, but there, I guess, even going back, like I've always known I was meant to be an entrepreneur. Like that was always a current in my soul. Like, Do you feel yeah. like that's a, cause I, I, you know, cause every Caribbean person I know mm-hmm. has that vibe about them. Yeah. I don't, it, it, it's definitely cultural. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like you either get a really good job or you create one, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of, <laughs> that's, that's what we do. So, you know, it was, uh, you know, I started out the path of getting a really good job, like mm-hmm. you know, get a good education, made get your a good parents job. happy, and they're like, exactly, "Yes, we exactly so we spend our money well." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, so um, when I made the transition from manufacturing over to brand, I um, um, I had options either to go to Cincinnati, which was their world headquarters, or to go to Puerto Rico. And that was a, that was a really difficult decision. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Puerto so, Rico, Cincinnati. Ooh. Exactly. How you hard know, is ain't that? Ain't nothing wrong with the Midwest, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not if you're from the Caribbean. Exactly. So, all so right. I moved to Puerto Rico and I lived there for two and a half years with with Proctor. Doing, um, they were doing all of their U.S. Hispanic marketing from Puerto Rico at that point. Okay. So, um so uh, you know as a, i was 22 23 living in puerto rico <laughs> oh, flying to miami oh new york Lord. LA. <laughs> it was kind of it was kind that of that nice is life. the dream <laughs> if, if that's not the dream i don't know what the dream is yeah, well but you know what the so even at that point this idea that i was supposed to be an entrepreneur was always sort of pulling at me like mm-hmm. I, you know and so i had um my little business plans that I started, I you know, I helped a friend start a company called Parada Financiera, which was a a online um, banking option for Latinos. Um, and then you know, ultimately sold my interest in that and, and stopped. And we parted ways, and and then uh, this is all on the side. So I'm I'm still I'm still at Proctor, but I'm doing you, this other you're stuff. You're so Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> I know what five jobs, ten jobs. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so you know, I I would. I always, and then, you know, I dabble in this, I had write on this, but one of the, I mean, to work on this plan or whatever, one of the things I realized, you know, when I was living in New York, my first actual, first entrepreneurial idea was, um, and they were, they were, I would say first. So the first was I, I designed this, this thing when I was in college that would turn down sound if there was, um, if your phone rang. So your phone would ring, it would turn down all your appliances, turn your TV, whatever. Down, oh, right? that's a... That's a player's tool. <laughs> so, well, we're not going to go there, right? <laughs> like I said, my lady may be listening, you know. Um, but no, I mean, so, you know, it would, and, and that was going to be my, that was going to be my, my ticket. So I started Proctor. I was going to work on this thing. But then at the same time, I had started doing some modeling. And I was like, you know, 
I realized that there weren't a lot of agencies out there for, um, or a lot of focus in our management for ethnic models. And right. I was like, so, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, uh, a friend of mine and I decided to put a company together that would focus on that. We were called the Model Image. And um, that was my first business. So wow. when, I was, when I started with Procter Manufacturing, I was living in New Jersey and doing this business in New York City. Um, I didn't have an office. And so I would go to coffee shops and hang out there. And that's where we would meet and do what we <laughs> This had is to a do. real entrepreneurial story. <laughs> um, and I fell in love with coffee shops. Like they were these amazing places where you could, they always, I mean, they, you could sit there as long as you wanted. Um, no one bothered you. There were always interesting people coming in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, the smell of the coffee was amazing, you know, and, and they were, they, I really felt and developed a passion, fell in love with coffee shops. So when I get to Puerto Rico now, um, you know, this business, you know, I ended up like walking away from, you know, I was, it was early. I, I didn't have my entrepreneurial chops quite right then. <laughs> and the, the pool, you know, I, I wanted, I was still working, right? I was like, all right, I need to do this corporate thing. That's the right path. Like how many people get this kind of opportunity, <laughs> you know? Um, so, but in, when I got to Puerto Rico, I realized there were no coffee shops. And you know, really, um, at the time, at there the time, yeah, okay, at the time, there weren't. They were not in the not in the way that I imagined. So I was like, you know what? Um, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'm not sure if I want to stay on this path of brand. I love the I love the idea of doing brand ma- management, but I was starting to get a little bored of marketing cleaning products. Right? I was the the <laughs> I was the 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 assistant brand manager for gain laundry detergent, you know, which is, I mean, it smells great. Yeah. It's an awesome product. Um, but for me personally, like, it, like the, the rhythm wasn't there. Um, and so I started looking at, I was like, well, why don't I open a coffee shop here? Then I can, that would be my, my business. And I would have, I'd be bringing something I love to a place that I'm having a great time in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started working on this business plan to do that. And, the same time exploring other options you know um i was grew up growing up in new york even even with the caribbean background living on an island can get small after a while and i i kind of yeah. felt like i wanted to get back to new york Aww. yeah i was like ah, you know <laughs> kind of want to get back to new york uh and so i ultimately got a call from from pepsi um uh, to come and work in their marketing department in new york and i was like you know what i'm gonna shelve this business plan I'm going to come to work and I'm going to move back to New York and go to work for Pepsi. And, um, and I did, and, uh, got back to New York and moved to Harlem. Um, which is one of my favorite places in the world. It's, it's really amazing. It's also been amazing. This was 2001. Like Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I guess I'm old now, but it was was 2001. (laughs) And, you know, it was like, you know, being there, um, at that time, Harlem was really sort of, uh, it was at the the early stages of what you know. So now people know Harlem, and it's like this this like you know neighborhood that's become the fascination of of you know broader the sit broader New York City and beyond. White you know? people are there. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> gentrified now. Um, but that was just beginning back in two thousand one, and mm-hmm. and people weren't sure if it was going to go the direction of like a, a Brooklyn, like a Fort Greene, or one of these, that's where I grew up. So that was that was kind of intriguing to me because you know growing up there. We we moved from Fort Greene because our house got shot up. Believe it or not, like this was back in the eighties. Oh, <laughs> you know, and whose uh, house didn't in the eighties? Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, some some you know, I'm sure many people didn't have that experience. But for my parents, they were like that. That's too much, like you know. And so we moved. Uh, I actually finished high school in in um in um in Long Island, and I moved to Hempstead and went to Union High School. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I graduated from, but. Um, I remember how much my 
brother and I loved living. And we were on South Portland Avenue. It's a beautiful area in Fort Greene. And, you know, even back then as like a little a high schooler, like, I was like, this is going to be dope, mom, dad. What are you doing? Like one day this neighborhood. And they were like, yeah, whatever. We're moving on. <laughs> and it happened. Like, yeah, South Portland Avenue got picked one of the most beautiful blocks in New York City. Like, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, now that area to buy a brownstone in that area would be four million. You Did know, they like, own a brownstone? They didn't own a brownstone. We didn't own. Um, but the opportunity to buy something there was there. Mm-hmm. And we decided not to take that oh! and to move to the, you oh! know. So that's that's what I'm saying. So, like, I, I remember that experience. It stuck with me. And now when I am try- I was trying to figure out where to live, moving back from Puerto Rico, I was like, I want a, I want a Fort Greene. I want a neighborhood like that. I want a neighborhood that's going to become, and I feel like Harlem is, is what's next. Yes. Um, and so I moved to Harlem um, and, um, you know, uh after a year or two i i bought a condo there um and so now i'm like all right i'm now i'm in the game now i'm, I'm part of I'm, I, I got in early i got now this, i got a mortgage <laughs> i got a mortgage but i'm on I, this amazing apartment on 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 marcus garvey park like Whoa! i was like Yo, I'm, I'm doing okay and then that entrepreneurial itch came start coming back like it's like okay carl like all right you know you came back here you saw the opportunity whatever um now you're seeing like there's there's there, that coffee shop thing that you were dreaming about it's not here either maybe you can do that here oh and so i did i um i spent a bunch of time at coffee primarily starbucks downtown at uh at astor place i'd go down there because that was the same as starbucks i used to go to back before this whole you know and i wrote a business plan for society coffee and then i um i opened society coffee in um in 2005, mm-hmm. and so in June of 2005, and that was my first foray into the restaurant business. I, I hadn't left Pepsi yet, so I was still working at Pepsi and doing this as like a, a, a side hustle. Um, but it was, you know, funny thing is, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I was consciously going into the restaurant business. I just wanted a great cafe in my neighborhood, and I wanted to begin my path as an entrepreneur. That was as far as I had thought it through. Wow! Um, but that's pretty. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, um, you know, um, and, and like now you're a renowned mixologist. <laughs> so like, there's there's a few steps to that, but yeah, but that's <laughs> you know. So now I'm in the business. I have both things going on. Uh huh. And um, you know, uh, couldn't uh, and I was trying to make up my mind about whether to take this path as a brand marketer. And ride it out as long as I could. Get up to like a VP CMO level, because um, once you're in that path at a company like Pepsi, you know you can pretty much write your ticket if you want to stay in the brand marketing um, leadership sort of path. And so I knew if I hung out for and, and continue to do well for a few years, that's where I was going to be going. Um, but at the same time, the idea of sort of I, I was gonna, I knew that that path would always leave me constrained by the the needs of the company. Yeah. And not ultimately what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, and so I, um, you know, I felt torn, um, you know, and on as far as direction, and, and and they started to recognize that, you know, my my um, boss and mentors at at Pepsi, and and so they thought that the right op- next opportunity for me. So I was the brand manager for Mountain Dew, um, mm-hmm. and then they were, the next opportunity for me would be an opportunity in innovation. So I moved to the innovation group. And I was working on the next great Pepsi idea. And for inspiration, I started working with mixologists. So I was talking to like, you know, East Village hipsters and, you know, and artists and, and mixologists. Like, hey, these guys are doing really cool things with flavors. Maybe that'll be the way off like this next idea. 
Um, and I was immediately blown away. So I was at this point, I'm just touching 30. I'm not just drinking to get hammered anymore. So the idea <laughs> of being able to have a culinary experience in a glass. A sophistication. A sophisticated cocktail. Like it, yes. it, it, was, it was exciting. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was inspired by that. I met uh, a guy named Steve Olson who a lot, well, a lot of people lump him in the group of, of founders of this, of this current mixology movement. And he's very, um, um, continues to be very instrumental uh, in the direction of it and invo- very involved. There's a lot of teaching and traveling. And so his, he, like, he has an infectious like, nature around him. So he was, he was so excited about what was happening in, the, in that world. And so, um, and he introduced me to Kevin, a guy named Kevin Patricio, who started helping me with the beverage program at Society Coffee. And so I, I, that was my, um, my, my beginnings in this mixology space. I discovered it. I thought it was really cool. I had this really inspirational and mm-hmm. um, um, I mean mentor, if you want to call him that, and Steve. Uh, and then um, I saw how having a strong beverage program was improving what, what I was doing at Society Coffee. So um, it really, I, you know, I just started to like get as involved as I could and learn as much as I could. And, and um, one day I was walking from Society and um, I saw this retail condominium for sale. Like those don't happen. Like the opportunity to buy a little retail space, and so I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go for it." So I bought the space, and I was like, "What do I do now?" <laughs> and so Pepsi comes to me at the same time and says, "Okay, we think you're ready for this next promotion." Um, and um, you know, and that those few months were one of the most like in sort of I won't say the most. They certainly weren't the most challenging period, but the most like you know, mentally sort of wrangling about what is the direction of my future? Is mm-hmm. it staying here, taking this promotion? Or taking um, the bigger risk of not of knowing out. what's going to, exactly. what's going to pan out. And it, it was um, a really, I, it took me months to make the decision. You know, like I sat on the property for a while. I sat on the offer the, the <laughs> for a while and <laughs> they were like, well, Carl, you got to do something. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I all of my like the the head of the innovation department, the VP of diversity, all these people came to the so cafe. They're just waiting for you. They came to the cafe like, okay, so this is cute. <laughs> I mean, is this what you want to do? But you know, this op- and you know, at the same time, like, so it was like my soul calling me versus mm-hmm. like this opportunity to continue growing. And, and I I knew that if I went that direction, like this these side things would would have had to end. Like, you know, unless I had someone else running them or doing them entirely. Um. And so I made the choice to open a, a cocktail bar and leave Pepsi. And um, and I hear it's a swanky <laughs> cocktail bar. Yeah, 67 Orange Street. I um, hear it's swanky. Yeah. It's a little speakeasy. It's, it's, it's a small speakeasy bar with great, great drinks. So yeah. you, can't, you are riding this wave of this whole cocktail thing because cocktails are a big deal now, right? Like they've, it's elevated to artistry now. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's actually... It's interesting because back then I was still very early in the development of the sort of you know the cocktail industry. It, you had some pivotal places that it opened. You had you know Death and Co. and and PDT was there, and um, you know there were others that were just you know the, you know um, that were there that were making waves. But um, there weren't there still weren't a lot of cocktail bars, and all of them at that point were below Fourteenth Street. So mm. the idea of doing something in Harlem was like heresy like what why like why would you do that who you know and and for a while people didn't get it like it took a while for people to to get what we were doing and to see what it was and to find it as um 
as exciting as I did, you know. But, um, you know, for better or for worse, one of the things that I guess I, I got this from my father, who, you know, my, I think I got my entrepreneurial spirit from him as well. Is he's, <laughs> he's always had ideas and done things, and he's still like, you know, he's in his 70s and he's still like <laughs> putting, creating and whatever. Um, but he's also very like dogged when he has an idea. Like, he grabs it, he holds on to it, and he sticks it out. And, mm-hmm. and that was my mentality. Like, I was like, this is, I know this is the right thing. I know it's just going to take a while. And I have to figure out ways to, to get other people to realize what I'm doing. So I started doing cocktail classes and bringing in, um, you know, um, various uh, brand folks to talk about their brands and inviting people in, you know, just so that they could see what we were doing. Um, um, you know, started uh, working with other bars in the area and holding, you know, cocktail competitions, things to really get the to inspire mm-hmm. um, the neighborhood. And it helped that a bunch of restaurants opened up in Harlem. I guess around the same time, like I think yeah. there was like Billy's Black and Mecca yeah. was there for a minute, right? Yeah. The wine bar and so it was. So this was two thousand. Um, I opened sixty seven Orange at the end of two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. So in two thousand nine, the one thing that I did not plan on is that the market, um, you know, there was a the huge stock market crash, and and the impact that, that had was that a lot of the developers that were working in Harlem stopped. All these projects that were being built went on hold, and all of us who were in business at that time were really, I mean, we, those were the darkest, some of the darkest days of doing business in Harlem. And unfortunately, the vast majority of businesses that were open during then have closed. Yeah. Um, a lot of, the, uh, you know, it was a really tough time. Um, one of the, the, the good things that came out of that was a group of nine of us got together and we said, we've got to do something about this. Like, how can we market the neighborhood and get people to see that, you know, development may have stalled a little bit, but there's still a lot of great reasons to come to Harlem. And so we formed an organization called Harlem Park to Park, mm-hmm. um, a merchant's organization designed uh, with the idea of marketing the neighborhood, um, but also focused on helping the, the businesses that were there maintain themselves. You know, So we call it maintaining the charm of Harlem. Um, and so the idea was that you know, we knew that when we got through this, there was going to be a massive wage, wave of gentrification. And so it was like, how do we maintain... How do we protect? How do we uh, market what's here now and help mm-hmm. us survive to be there when that Because some fancy people have moved in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now it's now it's like, now Harlem is has arrived as yeah, far as... Like, who's not in Harlem? Market. Now it's <laughs> right. like, who's not in Harlem? Right. Um, you know, you got Whole Foods, you've got... Yep. I remember when the body shop came, everybody's like, whoa. <laughs> Bed Bath & Beyond is Yes, there. now you, you got... Know, Marcus Samuelson's restaurant, mm-hmm. um, Red Rooster, is a huge hit for him. Yes. Um, the most successful restaurant that he's done and it's led to other things that he's done after that. So, you know, but th- this, so now Harlem Park to Park, at that point we were nine. Today we're over 140 businesses. So you can, that's how much it's grown. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing and it's, it's, it's one of the challenges of this is that there are far fewer, um, as far as the percentage, minority uh, yes. black owned businesses. Now do you, are you, are you acutely aware of that or is that, just you know i mean do you think about that a lot i do i mean i think about it in 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 two ways one is um you know um so being a a a black entrepreneur um you it's you know i i look around oftentimes and i don't see many very many people that look like me doing what i'm doing and doing at the level that i'm doing it and 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 that's always challenging because I would love to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I understand there's a lot of barriers to entry. So in the culinary space, like if you looked at 
a lot of the great restaurants and restaurateurs, you'll find that there's a degree at most of separation between them. They either study with this person or work with this person or, you know, the maitre d' who was here, worked with the, the, the bar manager who was there. And then, and that's how, and there's a collective um, amount of knowledge that's passed on in that way that's enabled um, groups of people to be very successful. Uh, but that knowledge doesn't get out of that circle. And so unless you find a way of tapping into that, you know, I, I having Steve as a, as an early mentor and, and um, you know, um, and other relationships that I had because I worked at at, at Pepsi, um, you know, helped fill that gap for me. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to connect with, you know, um, to get in and get some of this knowledge and to bring people in to work with me that I might know that. But otherwise, so I see a lot of black entrepreneurs, you know, having to recreate the wheel, having to like try to, I mean, yeah. to, 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 to learn all of this stuff um, when the opportunities to learn and to get it aren't there. Yeah. Um, and so as a, you know, I've been one of the few for a long time when I was at Yale, one of the few <laughs> people here, you know, when I was at Procter, when I was at Pepsi, you know, like, um, and so, you know, it's, um, so, so from that perspective, when you, you know, I'm, I'm aware of it, but then the other side of it, and this is something that I don't think a lot of, that gets missed a lot in, um, in emerging neighborhoods, oftentimes these emerging neighborhoods are neighborhoods of color. Um, and then, you know, um, as they become safer and, um, you know, property values start to rise, the locals get, the people who've lived there and built their lives there slowly start to get priced out or pushed out Mm -hmm. and, you know, gentrification, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's the dark, the dark side of gentrification. Like everyone wants a safer neighborhood. Everyone wants what they own to have greater value, but you want to be able to still live there and you want some of the character that was there to still be there. And when that starts to change, that's, that's the downside of gentrification. Mm -hmm. And no one likes, I mean, I'll say no one likes that. I don't personally, I haven't, I don't personally like that, but what I see happening in these situations, and this doesn't get talked about as much is the entrepreneurs who oftentimes will take the risk on those neighborhoods early on. Um, um, oftentimes will do all they can to survive. They'll fight the good fight. And if they do survive to the, t- the point when the neighborhood is doing well, they are, um, it's extremely difficult for them to compete. And the reason is because um, surviving in the middle of a very difficult situation creates scars, right? Those scars, whether they be um, debts and liabilities, whether they be like your stuff is just old after a while and mm-hmm. don't necessarily have the money to fix it up and make it nice the way, um, you know, or whether it's just something shiny new coming in and being right next to you. And that, that place is like where everyone wants to go because it's new and it's great and all mm-hmm. that. So, um, you know, um, like these, are, these, these things make it very difficult for these entrepreneurs to compete as, thing, as the neighborhood evolves. Uh, and then the other side of it is, is and so, so, one is comp- competing at that level. The other part of it is that a lot of these entrepreneurs uh, are first-time entrepreneurs, are early-stage entrepreneurs. That's why they're willing to take the risks on these neighborhoods that established entrepreneurs um, and, um, and, and entrepreneurs, you know, um, you know, oftentimes angle other, and angle or white entrepreneurs not, aren't going to take those risks. They don't mm-hmm. have to, right? Uh, and so they, they're early-stage, they're first they're often first-time entrepreneurs, early-stage entrepreneurs. They go in and they take these risks and they often lose big. Uh, and so but what they've done is they've now built it up enough. They create enough buzz about that, that when these next layer of entrepreneurs come in, this neighborhood or the buzz in there has been built on these entrepreneurs backs who no longer 
can afford yeah. to be in business or who lose their businesses. Uh, and then they spend the next 20 years paying for that. Yes. So, 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 so you're here in New Haven. You mm-hmm. take over the iconic Anchor Spa. What was the pushback like? Because there was some pushback because people were worried that you were going to just <laughs> mess with this footprint. And Because I saw, I read it on yeah. the New Haven Independent. I saw people sort of, who was buying the Anchor Spa? The, the Anchor yeah. Bar is now the Anchor Spa. And, yeah, well, and you think, didn't change the footprint. Right. Very, I mean, you walk in there and the vibe is still, it's a great vibe, but you didn't, you didn't like, well, I think, I tear, think, it, no, tear it to shreds. And I couldn't because, uh, I mean, part of it for me was I understood respecting a uh, community mm-hmm. and respecting the iconic, uh, the kind of establishment in the community, having worked in, in, in Harlem. And did you the, feel the pushback though? Did you, um, did you hear the rumblings of people being a little, yeah you know what's gonna happen (laughs) but i wasn't i wasn't worried about it okay you know because i knew that that i was sincere in what i was trying to do like the goal was not to um was not to destroy this institution but it was to you know to dust it off polish it up and then put it back out there in in a way that it could live on for the next 80 years Mm -hmm. now you're the only you're the only black man probably downtown uh, yeah you're yeah. the only one but that's, and, it's, but that's, and it hasn't been a brother owning a bar downtown new haven in 50 years i know i know and, and it's one of those things that again it goes back to the thing like that's uh it's disappointing mm-hmm. you know um it also means that um i feel particularly um convicted you know to make sure that what we're doing there is amazing and it's and it stands out, and it's so you do you feel the weight of that. I mean, Absolutely. do you feel the weight of that? Absolutely, and and I reckon, and you know, like we don't, you know, I didn't go into this saying I want to have, um, you know, I'm the only black person, and like, um, like, and I'm going to create a bar that's a black bar. That was not my intention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I went in saying, I mean, but as I got into this, and I realized what that was, that that was the case, um, you know. It became very important to me to make sure that in building this, that um, that 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 point wasn't lost, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, I I've you you walk in to, to the anchor, you don't like anybody can walk in there and feel comfortable and have a good time. Absolutely, and, you know, um, I've been in there a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's it's been important to me. My management team is is African American. Um, my bar manager is. My chef is. Um, I know Stephen. Yeah, Stephen Stephen Ross. Uh, Steve had a restaurant downtown. In I know. I, I've known Stephen for a long time because I was a culinary student once upon a time. Okay, all I was right. a professional <laughs> chef many moons ago. Nice. But I know Stephen, and I know what he was trying to do. Him right. and his wife. Yep. And you know they went from catering and business and that. So so it was really a real joy for me to see him in that space, so he could showcase his and that was culinary that, talent that for me was was just that it was like okay now i have the opportunity to to in a way and i'm giving back already because here's a here's someone who's who who would have fit, fit into that category of what i just said an established entrepreneur i mean an entrepreneur who came in early um you know tried to make something happen um and then you know um was still in some ways paying the price for for being early mm-hmm. uh, and so now i've given him a chance to be able to to showcase and to do what he's doing, and and he's a phenomenal chef. He's done a great job. Our food is we we won the the um, the taste of New Haven, the 
of um, the great taste. Yes. Um, best savory dish, you know. Oh. <laughs> so that was a shock, I think, for a lot of people downtown. They were like, wait a second, who <laughs> like, are these what? guys? We didn't even know they could cook, you know. <laughs> um, and then Greg, uh, bootleg. Oh, my bootleg. God. <laughs> Those drinks that were on fire. Yeah. I had the drinks that were on fire. Yep. Yeah, no, bootleg. Like, what the hell is this? This drink is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> he is a, a, a phenomenal bartender, mixologist, and and um and so the team now, you know, if you think about this leadership team, the three of us, yes, we are African American, but we do, we have an experience that is is global that anyone mm-hmm. can enjoy. In fact, the concept, the anchor, the anchor spark concept is meant to be global. Like our cocktails hail from various port cities around the world. Mm-hmm. We think about ourselves as being. From a port, like ports were places of exchange, where ideas and thoughts and and they were the best and most fun places to go, you know, because you could go to any port city, um, and you know, because it was a port, people were coming from all over the world, right? And so that's why they became these really great, fun, interesting places. That's what, we try to bring that energy into the anchor every day. I think you have, I do. Oh, I, it's a, it's a it's an eclectic crowd all the time. Mm-hmm. I love the artwork that you have up now, Dulio stuff. Yes, you, yeah. should, you should buy that stuff and leave it up. Yeah, you know what? That I felt like some of it was really timely. You know, it's it just like, so good in it, that space. It needed to be there right now. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this looks. Like, I was like, I know yeah. this artwork. Yeah. So, are you happy with the way Anchor is progressing and growing? And I people am. are I am. making it a destination now. Like people are like, I'm going to the Anchor Spa. I am. I mean, I'm I'm very proud of what the Anchor has become. I mean, it was and it wasn't an easy process. Like, I know. <laughs> like, because we were all like, okay, 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 okay. You know, we were. We, I was. We were. I mean, um. So it, the the opening was the most challenging opening that I've had yet. <laughs> um. You know. You know. This is my fourth place that I've opened and the most challenging opening I've had yet and for, for multiple reasons, but it was, there was certainly a time um, about, you know, this time last year. So we were open for maybe eight, nine months where I wasn't sure if we were going to make it, you know? Um, and, but you certainly didn't let on because every time I saw you, you seemed very cool and collected. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's <laughs> that Caribbean spirit right there. <laughs> but it's also, so it's also being, you know, I, I, like I said, I've been, um, in an emerging market, like I was in Harlem, I was one of the first places to really open on on Frederick Douglass Boulevard, and and to I have to so, come find you there now. Yeah, definitely, I, I have to come yeah, find you. I definitely right. should. So it, in some ways, I was mentally and emotionally prepared for it. Uh huh. Um, and um, you know, um, um, but it, a lot of um, but it was hard, and it was a point where we I wasn't sure. Uh, but like, again, a lot of it comes down to success in this business. You can put the best plans in place, but it comes down to the people mm-hmm. and building the right teams. Mm-hmm. And so the success of the anchor and the success we're having now, um, I can't take the credit for that. I have to give the credit to the, the team that we have in place, and that's that's Steve and Bootleg. Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing there and, you know, obviously there's a coaching and there's a, a leadership um, aspect that I bring, um, you know, to to that and guidance, but it's, it's having – these two strong individuals leading because you can't be program. there all the time because you've no. got other no. you've got other babies to tend to exactly now um, are you thinking about the next thing like do you think yeah i need another restaurant somewhere <laughs> like do you are yeah. you thinking that way no i i am I, you know i i um i mean again i'm i'm caribbean i mean just you know four <laughs> or five jobs isn't enough i just can't <laughs> so, um but no i i i uh, i am Certainly thinking about 
I'm thinking of, of a few things. I you know, um, so the skills that we've that I've developed in the organization that I've built um, is there's the opportunity to go in and manage other uh, development projects. So really, you know, um, so the the Carl Franz Bar and Restaurant Group is a management company that runs my places, of course, but then, you know, um, can lend that service to other, to other people, other groups. And so that's where we're, um, we're looking at some development projects along that line. Um, so there's a few things on the table where if they work out, you know, this could be, um, now do you think, do you think about, uh, internationally? Do you think, you know what? I need a bar in Paris. Yeah. I mean, or of course, Istanbul it, or that, that, that stuff is so sexy, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and of course, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I always said a few things. You know, if you look at various models, like there's the, the Danny Mayer. I admire him a lot. What he's done as a as a um, a restaurateur and as an entrepreneur. Um, his partner uh, in that Richard Corain was an early mentor for me as well, um, and taught me a lot um, about the business. And um, RC, as he likes to be called, um, you know, um, helped establish what they did with. Uh, Shake Shack and that expansion, you know, mm-hmm. although he ultimately, um, um, you know, uh, so that expansion, you know, from, but, but a lot of their early restaurants, they built their reputation in a few city blocks, you know, um, and, you know, you could literally walk from, you know, to most of their early restaurants. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's something to be said about being able to maintain the quality of the experience by being somewhat close to it. Um, and, um, and and I think that's, I see what you mean. I see, I see exactly, exactly what you mean. Like, so, like I can't open a place in Paris because I cannot be in Paris all the time. Right. And but that's where um, you know ultimately you're able to do that, right? But the the way you get there is you have to build an organization first mm-hmm. of all. And and so I'd say we're still building that. So I don't think the next project for me is Paris or Dubai or London. <laughs> um, but to do something in one of those cities, you know, one day is exciting. Is an exciting prospect. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Mm-hmm. But right now, I mean, you know, um, in the next year, uh, I'm starting a family now. So, I mean. Right? Are you? Yeah, I have a baby due in a couple months. Yay! <laughs> Very excited oh about it. Oh, my God. Congratulations. Thank you. So, that, that's because we got about, I don't know, two minutes. <laughs> so, how do, you, how, do you, how do you take care of yourself? How do you wind down? How do you d- d- um, unplug from work? Which no one ever really unplugs mm-hmm. from work. But how do you sort of create the space? To have a family, to be attentive to those kinds of relationships, mm-hmm. relax. Well, relax. I mean, I, I would honestly say, like, have I done a great job with that? You know, <laughs> of this? No, I mean, and, and it, it's it's funny. A lot of driven people and successful people will tell you, you know, despite what there's all these books about the four hour work week and things like that. And, um, you know, it, I mean, most of us get where we are by really by busting our behinds and working, you know, and raising work, families and. and, 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 and in the so, midst of that. I mean, but I do think that it is important. And, and I can say I haven't done the best job at it. But I do think it is important to carve out time. And I think for me, those those come into, you know, family time, time where I'm committed to just spending that with my lady and um, uh, soon my, my uh, child. Um, the uh, phys- Taking care of myself physically. Mm-hmm. Um, so fitness has always been very important. Yes, because you look really good. <laughs> Thank you. Like you are Thank very you. good looking. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Free drinks. <on. laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's really, that's, I mean, it's one of the things that I, I, I make time for, um, you know, working out, staying in shape, um, 
finding time to rest mm-hmm. you know like it's it's not easy to do no because you own a bar you own bars <laughs> and bars are not nine to five no, they are no. early you know early in the evening to wee hours of the morning kind I mean, of thing 4 a.m in new york city you know so <laughs> it's um but yeah i mean so that so, so finding time for those things is not hard but i think it's essential for your your mental sanity and through these when things were the most challenging for me finding time to 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 work out and take care of myself physically helped me mentally to work through that and to be strong and get through those situations. So mm-hmm. it has been a pleasure having you here. No, this has been great. I've Thank been you. chasing you, <laughs> and I'm so happy that you finally said yes and showed up. I yeah, love that. Yeah, well, I'm glad too. <laughs> and I and I love your I love yeah. Anchor Spa. As a matter of fact, I've got two dates that I'm having there next week. Okay, so I'll All be right. there. You'll see me if you're there. I'll see you. I'll be there. I think Tuesday and Wednesday. Okay. So I like this space, and I love Stephen and and your bartender is amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. So thank you for well, giving me you. this, this time. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, and if y'all just tuned in, it'll be a podcast. It'll go on again today at five o'clock and it'll be a podcast up on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening to uh, Love Babs Love Talk on 103.5 WNHH. I'm Babs Rawls-Ivy. I'll be back in the next hour because I'm talking to my girl, Melissa Barton from the Beinecke Library, one of my other favorite places on the planet. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> thank you. All right, Harry, I'm going to, I'm going to raise up the music. There we go. Light, 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 light.